Hello, and welcome back to Cinema Sunday. I am your host, Candy Thomas. And each week, I'm going to watch one of the 94 movies that have won an Oscar for Best Picture and tell you exactly what I think of them. I follow the same template every week. So if you're new to the podcast, here's how it works. I tell you the basic details of the movie, things like who's in it and what's it about, and most importantly, where you can go if you want to watch it. Before I began this journey, I looked up every movie on the list to verify they are all available to stream in case you want to watch or rewatch them. And I will also answer three important questions. One, does it stand the test of time? Two, is it Oscar worthy? Three, should you watch it or is it a steaming pile of dog poop? Just as a friendly warning, along with my honest assessment of these movies, you'll also get my hot takes on many current events. I like to rant about the things that irritate me, and I always mix it with a heaping dose of adult language. Please be sure you listen with caution. Hey, it's a package deal. I fuss and I cuss, so get over it. Before we begin, I would like to thank Wikipedia and IMDb, as they are great sources of information for all things movie and Oscar-related. And with that, let's take it away. This week's Oscar-winning film is Braveheart. It was released May 24th, 1995. It's directed by Mel Gibson. It stars Mel Gibson, Brendan Gleeson, Sophie Marceau, and Patrick McGuhan. They are like the main group, but there's this incredible collection of Scottish and English actors that really carry this movie. And you'll recognize a lot of them because you've seen them in a dozen other things. Stay tuned because I'm going to dedicate some time at the end to talk about them. It was nominated for 10 Oscars and it won five. It won for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Cinematography, Best Sound Effects Editing, and Best Makeup. If you want to watch it, it can be found on Spectrum and HBO Max if you have a subscription, or you can pay to stream it on Amazon Prime Video, Apple TV, Redbox, and Vudu. So what's it about? First, it is based on the true story of William Wallace, who led a Scottish army in their quest for freedom from King Edward I of England in the late 13th century. Now, of course, this is the Hollywood version. So accuracy isn't necessarily what they're going for here, but we got to sell movie tickets, folks. So it is what it is. At the beginning of the movie, you get a little bit of a backstory. We learn that in the late 1200s, there is a Scottish king and he dies without an heir. So there is, of course, this great confusion about who should assume the throne. There are several noblemen from rich and powerful families, each whom seem to believe that they have the strongest claim to the throne. So it begins this bitter infighting as the Scots try to figure out who's going to lead them. And while they're all so busy fighting with each other, the cruel and power-hungry king of England, a man known as Edward the Longshanks, basically swoops in and takes it for himself. So the Scots, in their ability to band together and find common cause, they end up being led by a foreign king. By the time they realized what had happened and enough of them had banded together, it was too late. Longshanks already had power and their attempts to topple him failed. They're fighting him and they're fighting each other, so it's a big hot mess. 
Longshanks agrees to a meeting with all of the nobles to discuss a truce. Of course, no one thought it was strange that they were asked to come alone and to bring no weapons with them. Not a single red flag goes up. None of them saw this coming a mile away. And of course, it was a trap. They are all slaughtered, and Longshanks remains the king. When this occurs, William Wallace is just a small boy. He lives with his father and older brother, and they are farmers living in a small shire. The father seems to suddenly notice that there's a big group of important men who never returned from their meeting with Longshanks. So he and his sons go to where the meeting was to see what's up. They stumble upon a horrific scene. Many, many dead men, along with the young boys who acted as their pages. Of course, this has a profound effect on young William. He sees firsthand the unwarranted cruelty that Longshanks is capable of. So the father gathers a group of about 50 farmers, and they set off to go fight Longshanks. And of course, it doesn't end well. Both William's father and older brother are killed in the fighting. With no one left to care for young William, his uncle Argyle, played by Brian Cox, comes to fetch the boy and take him with him on his travels throughout Europe. We're not exactly sure where they go, but William returns back to his shire about 15 years later. He's a well-rounded young man. Clearly, Uncle Argyle taught him well. He speaks multiple languages and has been fortunate enough to see the world. Seems strange to me that he'd return to this little teeny tiny village in the middle of Scotland, but to him, that's his home. Now a grown-up, William Wallace, played by Mel Gibson, is reunited with childhood best friend Hamish, who's played by Brendan Gleeson, and Murin, played by Catherine McCormick, his childhood crush. Neither of those two ever left the Shire. Wallace's grand plan is to settle down into life as a farmer, marry Murin, and hang out with Hamish all day. There's no part of him that's looking for trouble. He just wants life to be easy and simple. Meanwhile, Longshanks continues to rule Scotland, but his grip is not as tight as it used to be. He has just married his son, Prince Edward, to the daughter of the King of France to help establish an alliance. He knows he'd be on stronger footing with France if only he could get Scotland under control. The continued uprisings and infighting, it all makes Longshanks look weak. He needs to convince English noblemen to go live in Scotland and help him keep the people under control. He offers land and power, but still many of the Englishmen are hesitant to go. They won't go until he offers them prime noctis, which stands for first night. This is basically the right for them to put dibs on sleeping with newlywed young women. So these guys didn't want to go for the promise of wealth or land or castles, or power, or just simply because their king asked them to. It was the idea of them getting to bed virgins on their wedding night that sealed the deal. What a bunch of sick fucking dudes. You can imagine this doesn't go over well with the Scottish men. William and Miron marry in secret and consummate their relationship before any of the English nobles occupying their village can find out. Their life appeared to be quiet and peaceful until one of the Englishmen attempts to rape Muron, and William has to defend her. They try to escape, but she is captured and publicly executed. This is where it all begins for William Wallace. It's time for the Scots to fight back against the English and win their freedom once and for all. It's not hard to rally the other common folk. After all, Longshanks has given the English nobles permission to steal their lands and rape their wives. They're more than ready to rumble. 
With the help of a handful of men, Wallace leads an attack on the garrison in his hometown, killing the man who executed Maron and sending the rest back to England with a message for Longshanks. The Scottish are ready to fight back. Alongside his friend Hamish, Wallace forms an armed rebellion against the English and tales of his heroic acts start to spread. Pretty soon, hundreds of Scots from the surrounding clans have come to join him. While Longshanks is on an alliance building trip to France, his son, Prince Edward, is left in charge with the expectation that he does everything he can to stop the Scots. Unfortunately for the English, he doesn't take the rebellion seriously, at least not early enough to put down the uprising with any success. There are a number of smaller skirmishes with the English soldiers, and in all of them, Wallace is victorious. So it continues to grow until Wallace has a sizable amount of able-bodied Scots ready for war. He's even captured the attention of some of the Scottish nobles, most notably Robert the Bruce, who is a would-be contender for the crown. He is played by Angus McFadden. Robert is starting to feel like he should side with Wallace, but he can't talk the other nobles or his powerful father into battling the English. Wallace and his men continue to battle small garrisons of English soldiers, knowing that it's only a matter of time before Longshanks sends the full might of the English army their way. Every battle is more violent and essentially practice for Wallace's group. Every time they fight, they learn more about the enemy and create better strategies for defeating them. They are joined by a group of renegade foreigners who volunteer for their cause. Among them is a delightful Irishman named Stephen, played by David O'Hara. The Irish have no love for the Scots. They just simply want a chance to kill the English. They quickly identify that Stephen's a bit of a madman, so of course, he'll fit right in. Soon word is received that the English army is advancing towards Stirling. The Highland clans are ready to fight, and they are on their way to provide Wallace the needed reinforcements. But Robert the Bruce and the rest of the nobles won't entirely commit to fighting. They will, however, gather their men to at least meet on the field of battle to discuss terms with the English commanders. So all total, there's a significant representation of Scotland on the field that day at Stirling, but they are still outnumbered three to one. A few of the more notable noblemen immediately start talking about a truce, the willingness to surrender before any fighting begins. Even many of the citizens who are essentially the bannermen of those nobles are like, fuck this noise, we're sitting ducks. Why would we fight and die for these rich cowards? But then Wallace gives his big speech. You know the one. It's the famous clip of Mel Gibson on horseback yelling, they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. And of course, thousands of Scots are suddenly like, yeah, bitch, let's go kick some ass. Each side sends out a few representatives to talk terms. Longshank, of course, has conditions, which are unacceptable. And Wallace wastes no time sharing his own conditions. It's basically like this. Get your asses back to England and never come back. Needless to say, the two sides agree to disagree. So ding, 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 ding. Round one. Here we go. This is an epic battle. Lots of lives lost. But in the end, the Scots are victorious. It doesn't change much. One taste of victory and the Scottish noblemen are back to arguing over which of them will get to be king of Scotland. Wallace knows Longshanks isn't going to give up, but he can't convince them to align together and keep fighting. They feel like they have too much to lose. 
The next step is to go on the offensive and attack the English in their own country. Wallace decides they will attack York, which is currently ruled by Longshank's nephew, who has repeatedly asked Prince Edward for reinforcements to fend off the pending invaders, but help never comes. Wallace's army sacks York, and they send the head of Longshank's nephew to him in a box as a warning. Wallace is waiting in York for Longshanks to come and face him, but he doesn't come. Instead, he sends his son's wife, Isabella of France, played by Sophie Marceau, to negotiate with Wallace. She's tasked with trying to get him to meet Longshanks' truce terms. Isabella and Wallace have their meeting, during which we see how enamored she is. He's smart and passionate and fighting for all the right reasons. It's not hard for her to side with him once he tells her what a monster her father-in-law really is. She returns to London to notify Longshanks that Wallace does not accept his conditions. She also discovers that she had been used. She was to be a distraction for Wallace while they were meeting. Longshanks was busy sending Welsh, French, and Irish troops to attack Scotland in Wallace's absence. Princess Isabella secretly gets word of the impending evasion to Wallace. He and his army ride night and day to get back to Edinburgh ahead of the foreign invaders. They have to warn everyone that the British are coming. The British are coming. (laughs) We get geared up for the next battle. This is the Battle of Falkirk, which took place July of 1298. This time, the Scottish noblemen, Mornay and Lachlan, desert the Scottish army and take their men with them because they were bribed by Longshanks to stand down. Without the numbers, Wallace's army is absolutely obliterated. To add insult to injury, he discovers that the one nobleman he really trusted, Robert the Bruce, decided to fight on the side of Longshanks against his own countrymen. His horrible father advised him to do so, convinced that Robert would never be king if he fought against the English. Robert is absolutely gutted when he sees the dead Scottish bodies laying on the battlefield. He knows he stood on the wrong side and has destroyed Wallace's trust in him. Having been abandoned and defeated on the battlefield really pisses Wallace off, and he systematically seeks revenge against all the Scottish nobles who turned against his cause. He continues his small acts of guerrilla warfare against the English with the secret support of Princess Isabella, who has entered into an affair with Wallace. Robert the Bruce finally decides he's had enough of fighting for the wrong side, and he calls for a meeting with Wallace. He's really well-intended and wants to make amends, but he doesn't realize that his own father has double-crossed him and made arrangements for Wallace to be captured and turned over to the English. Longshanks is now terminally ill, and Isabella strikes one last blow by letting him know that she's carrying Wallace's baby. Looky here, Grandpa. Seems to be that a half-Scottish baby will now be in line for the English throne. Ha, 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 ha. Wallace is brought before an English magistrate and given the chance to confess to committing high treason. He refuses, so it doesn't end well for him. He is condemned to public torture, which includes hanging, being drawn and quartered, and then beheaded. Even while he's being disemboweled alive, he still refuses to submit to the king. Although the crowd yells for mercy, Wallace won't ask for it himself. In fact, 
Given the chance to say something, he simply yells, freedom, before being beheaded. After Wallace's death, Robert becomes the King of Scotland. He's supposed to formally accept English rule, but as the two armies meet on the field for a peaceful ceremony in 1314, Robert has second thoughts. Instead, he implores Hamish and the rest of the clansmen to fight for him as they did for Wallace. And with that, they march across the field to go win their freedom from England. Question one, does Braveheart stand the test of time? The basic concept does, yes. And in fact, the idea of a ruthless leader of one country using cruelty and powerful force to invade and essentially take over another country is still alive and well today. This is basically, you know, Russia and Ukraine, right? Well, we're watching this in real time as a powerful dictator isn't kept in check and he thinks he's allowed to go take something that isn't his. And he seems to act surprised when people rise up and fight against him. This is not a concept that is unique to the 13th or 14th century. It's happening today in the 21st. So, of course, as you watch this, you immediately side with the Scots because you want them to win the freedom they so rightly deserve. But let's talk about the other elephant in the room. If this movie were to be made today, there is no one that would allow or accept this as a Mel Gibson-led project He'd never be selected to star in it, and I doubt anybody would provide the budget for him to direct or produce it. He was canceled, if you will, nearly 20 years ago when he very publicly came out as an anti-Semite. There are a lot of behaviors we are willing to accept from our fellow man, but being cruel and openly hostile toward Jewish people is going too far, and he never really recovered from his spectacular fall off the Hollywood A-list. And to be honest... I don't think there was ever a time when he apologized. For some reason, I, I can't remember. Maybe he did, but I can't remember if he actually did. I think this might be one of those situations where he may have even doubled down. So he's a very problematic individual who we will probably see and hear very little of for the rest of our lives. He did that to himself. He owns those decisions. He has been and still is being shamed and isolated because of the terrible beliefs and bad behavior. I don't feel sorry for him in the slightest. This is 100% karma. If you're a bad person doing bad things, don't be surprised when it comes back around. All that being said, this is a really good movie. You just have to separate the product from the person. Mel Gibson is actually very good in this movie. It's a moving performance and he's surrounded by a very talented supporting group of performers who really make this a worthwhile watch. And most importantly, it made me want to learn more about the real life William Wallace. I admit that I don't know anything about the first war of Scottish independence, so I'm at least inspired to learn more. Question two, is it Oscar worthy? So, so let me say yes, but only in certain ways. I 100% agree that it's worthy of nominations when we're talking about cinematography and editing, and the music is also really good. If I'm being honest, I think the epic nature of the movie, these big, huge battle scenes, are what carried it through Oscar season. But I'm not sure that this was even close to being the best movie that year, at least not in my opinion. The other nominees were Sense and Sensibility, Il Postino, The Postman, Apollo 13, and Babe. I mean, come on now. Let's be serious. If you were listening a couple of weeks ago, 
you know how I feel about Apollo 13. (laughs) There is a deep, deep place in my heart for that movie because it's a great goddamn movie. And Babe, that incredibly sweet, heartwarming and bursting with charm movie about a pig who thinks he's a sheepdog. That might be one of the most delightful things to come out of the 90s. Sense and Sensibility is certainly worthy. It's a brilliant retelling of a timeless classic. While I didn't see Il Postino, I can't comment on that, but I can certainly ask this question. Where in the hell is the usual suspects? Or Toy Story? Or Mighty Aphrodite? Or Dead Man Walking? Or even Leaving Las Vegas? There were so many great alternatives that year that I probably would have picked instead. And if you go back to the beginning of this podcast, the, the, the preview episode right before episode one, when I talked about how the voting is done, now, whether or not I think it's the right way to do it, it certainly explains how sometimes these large productions with tons of people involved in making them can win for best picture, even when they might not actually be the best picture. Is it bad? Oh, no, no, no. This is actually a really great movie, you guys. But I, I can't honestly say that it was the best movie of the year. I, I don't agree with that. Question three, should you watch it? Yes, you should. And it's probably because of the supporting cast alone. I mentioned Brendan Gleeson earlier, and he's just one part of this like motley crew of clansmen that William Wallace has at his side in every battle. Gleason's character Hamish is the perfect sidekick. He's Wallace's ride or die, and he's a great combination of charm, humor, and steadfast loyalty. I also love that character of Stephen, played by David O'Hara. I recognize this actor from The Departed, but he's also been cast numerous times as Irish or Scottish, typically mafia or some type of hooligan of some nature. You'll also recognize Tommy Flanagan. He's the actor who has very distinct scars on his face that go from the corners of his mouth to his ears, almost very Joker-esque looking. And he's been in a ton of movies, including Gladiator and The Game with Michael Douglas, which is an awesome movie. And of course, I have to talk about the character of Campbell, who is Hamish's father. He is played by James Cosmo. If you think you don't know who that is, Yes, yes, you do. He was in movies like Highlander and Train Spotting, but I know him as Gior Mormont, the commander of the Night's Watch in Game of Thrones. He was Jorah's father and the man who befriended and mentored Jon Snow before sadly getting killed by some of his own men. As you would expect, he plays an absolute badass in this movie who keeps coming back for more. I hesitate to recommend this movie to people who struggle watching violence in movies. There is a lot of it. It's expected because we're talking about medieval era warfare. So it's men basically stabbing and chopping at each other. The film was nearly rated NC-17 due to the violence and had to be edited down to receive an R rating. The saving grace is that some of the most terrible parts are not actually seen. Like, you know it's happening, but we are saved from having to witness it. But it certainly doesn't hold back, and you should know that before deciding to watch. Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 18 of Cinema Sunday. I'll be back next week to discuss another Oscar-winning film. Please tell your friends about this podcast. It's really helpful if you like and follow the show, or even post a review. That is the best way to help Cinema Sunday reach a wider audience. If you have a comment... Maybe I got some facts wrong. 
or you just want to tell me I have shit taste, you can email cinemasunday at yahoo.com. The music for Cinema Sunday is appropriately titled So Happy. It is by Scott Holmes Music. I got it off of freemusicarchives.org. And the work is licensed under Creative Commons by NC 4.0. Links are provided in the bio. And if you happen to visit the Free Music Archive, they do take donations. So please be generous. Thanks and see you next week.